house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. to your zoo. This is what you want. It's not what I want. At the risk of stating the obvious, you're insane. The sellers say you don't even need any special knowledge to run a zoo. What you need is a lot of heart. You are gonna love your new enclosure. We need somebody who can take charge of this place or else we and all these animals are gone. I'm trying to give the kids an authentic American experience. Stop before zebras get involved. There's two zebras. There's a lion. There's 47 animal species. It'll never last. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Press podcast, the only podcast that looks nine months pregnant, but is actually only six months pregnant. Every week on This Had Oscar Press, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my otter enclosure, <laughs> Joe Reed. Uh, yes, as advertised, all otters are welcome. Uh, in my enclosure, as they say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your embrace, your loving embrace, Chris. I almost called you my peacock enclosure. <laughs> I thought that was too much. I was re. Listen, okay. First of all, can't do snakes in movies. Period. Sure. So, like, I don't even want to talk about the snakes in this movie. Okay. But the peacocks. That are just, like, roaming on the lawn with this little girl. Yes. I feel like you might as well just throw her in the lion's den because peacocks are notoriously mean. Well, this is what I feel like. I feel like any time you hear about animals, especially ones that are, like, pretty, I feel like on a long enough timeline, you get to the point in the conversation where somebody's like, but they're notoriously aggressive. And like, I just feel like you get like, they're all wild animals. And at some point there was this, there was the point in the movie where there was the sign and it was like, the zebras will bite your hand. Do not give them the opportunity to do so. And it's like, yeah, like all of these like beautiful animals or whatever. I imagine that like, if you get up close to them, they're just going to like, you know, go for your, go for your flesh and whatever. And are you a zoo? Were you a zoo person? This was what I wanted to sort of lead this. We with. have a very popular zoo here, uh-huh. but not really. I don't really remember going to zoo. I can't zoo remember the last time. time I've been to a zoo. We have some like very well known ones here in New York City. I tried one time to organize a friend group trip to the Bronx Zoo that like did not work out. And it doesn't work for just a group of adults, too many children. I, that's probably true. When I'm back in Buffalo, I think we want to do like a zoo day with my nephew. That will be fun to sort of like that's watch nice. it like through his eyes. But like Yeah, through the eyes of a child, it's fine. Yeah. But I am also like I'm not like hippy dippy, like, uh uh like you know, like I, I love like cats and dogs and stuff sure. and like I love like wildlife preservation, whatever, but I'm not in theory, what, yes. What am I trying to say? I'm in theory. I agree with all of that. Animals, I'm not, I'm not super touchy feely, but and yet, when I get to a zoo and I know that like good zoos take good care of animals, yeah, it 
bums me out still. Oh, see, I think it's because I watched that movie Buddy a lot as a child <laughs> with Renee Russo. Okay. And she like sets Buddy free. She, well, yeah, we were the generation raised on like Free Willy and whatnot. So like we exactly, are definitely where it's like do bad. Right. We don't want where any it's animals like, really in captivity. Sea World bad. Ultimately, I never grew up with pets, so I'm like I'm somewhat abnormal when it comes to the way I feel about animals, which is like mostly boils down to like good for them, like go do you animals do do your Brian thing. Fellows. Um, I don't care. Keep it away from me. I don't care. Like if you feel like zoos are are inhumane, okay, cool. Like do your thing to liberate the animals. Then, like I don't care. Ultimately, if people want to keep them in captivity, sure. Like, don't put me in danger. Don't have a, like, don't keep snakes in the apartment next door to me, please. Because, like, they'll get into the pipes and whatnot. And then all of a sudden there's a snake in my room. Like, don't encroach upon me with them. But, like, otherwise, like, I don't know. Tiger King, I think, is weird. I think, like, if you're I was going to bring up Tiger King. This made me feel very Tiger King. Like, people shouldn't just have their own small zoo. That is something I maybe think. Well, but at least these people... I mean, I guess Tiger King, too, right? That was open to the public and whatnot. I feel like... I don't think you could make We Bought a Zoo today... Well, you shouldn't make We Bought a Zoo in any era. But, like, if you made it today, you would have to acknowledge... One should not simply buy a zoo. You would have to acknowledge that, at the very least, like, the kind of person who usually buys a zoo is more of a Tiger King type than a, you know, sad dad, right? Like, sad Matt Damon yeah. dad. That's 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 the exception to the rule. Here's the other Listeners, thing. Listeners, we're talking about We Bought a Zoo. Oh, yeah. Hi. Well, listen. Welcome. You, you saw. You clicked on it in your podcast app. It didn't say mystery film. It said We Bought a Zoo. You know. <laughs> what if we did a mystery we film should. one time? Honestly, that would like be that. cute. That'd be fun. Click for a mystery movie. Here's what I wanted to say, though, before we got into uh, the meat of the thing too much. There's a scene in which Matt Damon goes into the Home Depot and, you know, Kim Whitley is the... Uh, oh, the... I was so mad. I was like, give Kim Whitley more to do than play Home Depot employee. There was a moment at the end of the movie where she shows up at the zoo, and I had the faintest flicker of hope that, like, that's the romantic uh, glimmer at the end of the movie. That, like, they, like, <laughs> you know, make a date. Or was like, I'll take you out for coffee next week or something like that. Because, like, they, unlike this movie's purported romance, have romantic chemistry. But anyway, I thought. Um, but so he goes into the Home Depot, and Kim Whitley's there, and she's working there. And she's like, oh, I loved that zoo. Are you going to open it soon? But all I could think of is, like, Matt Damon must smell, like, 12 kinds of animal shit walking into a Home Depot. <laughs> and just, like, if you make the decision to buy a zoo and to live at the zoo, you have sentenced you and your children to many things, but one of them is smelling like animal shit for the rest of your life, essentially. And I don't want to live that life. I don't want to live, you know, as the guy who walks into Home Depot and everybody's like, oh God, the zoo guy's here. I can't see him, but I can sure smell him. Well, I mean, the daughter, she's not even going to be like garden variety horse girl. Oh yeah, she's going to be... She's going to grow up to be super uber weirdo peacock girl. Yeah. We talked about... We we did the zookeeper's wife, and because of the holocaust of it all, we kind of uh, avoided too many questions of like the practicalities of like running a zoo and keeping Well, but the they zoo. kill all the animals. Well, yeah, that does happen. But, you know, the the horrors of war and all that. It, Whereas in this one, it really just sort of makes you sit with 
the idea of this is one of those all timer movies of like, what would you do? Right. Put yourself in the position of this guy. Would you do this? Would you buy a zoo? Would you, how would you do? How would you do if you bought a zoo? Like that kind of thing. And I think almost like 99% of people I imagine would come to the conclusion of like, I would simply not buy a zoo is what I would do. Like that is the simple solution to all of this. Um, yeah. Should we talk before uh, we get into the movie about our upcoming mailbag episode? Mailbag. Hi, we're doing a mailbag. We are accepting answers through December 20th. You can email your mailbag questions to hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com, or you can fill out the Google form that we have both on our Tumblr page, and I will uh, tweet it if the World Cup has not crashed Twitter. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, We also should say, should we talk about our Schminster Schramm? At this point, our Schminstagram that we uh, that we will hopefully Uh, have up and running by the time people listen to this. Yeah, absolutely. We have an Instagram. We figured, listen, uh, the Titanic may be sinking and there are there uh, are not enough lifeboats for all of the people. And she's made of iron. I assure (laughs) you, she will. All of that is happening. Uh, Sort of made us realize that, like, we don't have an Instagram page, do we? And like. I have Instagram. I utilize Instagram mostly to just, like, keep up with other people. I don't post on Instagram very much. Mostly Cat because videos. my appeal as a person is not visual. My appeal is is more... I'm an ideasy, wordsy person, right? Anyway. Um, but we figured it was a smart idea to get on Instagram. We haven't done Mastodon yet. We're not at a point where we're going to do discord yet who knows what the future will bring but for right now we have an instagram discord page. i think is for straight people is discord for straight people you see you just say those things chris and i don't know if there's any truth to that <laughs> it just sounds very like video game dark web to me i think discord is one of those things where it is what you make of it so i mm. i'm i but i don't know i have i don't have a whole are there people making a homophobic space of it I mean, I'm sure, but there are people making a homophobic space of a lot of things. So, um, you and I are making this podcast a homophobic space for each other. Yes, well, sense. constantly, yes. Um, but anyway, what's our what's our Instagram uh, handle so people can find this? Us? Had Oscar Buzz. Listen, Twitter no didn't spaces. have that for us. Twitter, uh, someone had already taken this had Oscar Buzz at Twitter for whatever reason. We had to sort of uh, uh, bastardize it for our handle there. But yes, this had Oscar Buzz at Instagram. By the time you listen to this, we will have some stuff up. We'll have it looking pretty. We'll be posting. We'll hopefully have soft launched it at that point so we can figure out what type of things we're going to be doing well, there. I imagine similar things that we do on Twitter. We'll be teasing the new episodes. We'll be. Maybe we'll figure out how to post audio snippets. Who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? But anyway, uh, come find us there. That way, if Twitter all goes away, we'll still have a place to gather. And yeah. All right. Uh, We bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. Picture. Cameron Crowe's 2011. A A movie that I feel like exists in perpetuity as a punchline, but kind of always has. It is one of the all-time punchline titles, and it never 
escaped that velocity. You know what I mean? Like that. I was... almost did a quiz, a demented quiz, but we have a lot to get into in this episode. I'm for still you. Was... sad to lose whatever this demented quiz was going to be. Because... Yeah, I'm sorry. I threw my draft away too. It, um, I was going to subject you to the. Tyra Banks Beyonce quiz. Of, <laughs> you have to guess the movie I'm talking about. For say, I said instead of we bought a zoo, we took a poo. <laughs> what is a movie where several people are pooping at once? Oh well, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, Triangle of Sadness wouldn't have been the answer, but Bridesmaids would have been the answer. Triangle of Sadness would be an answer. Like you can't tell me that I would have been wrong. <laughs> See, this would have been too chaotic. All right, you're, you're maybe... nobody. I think there's only that one dude who is actively taking a shit. In no, that movie. Christopher. There are multiple people. There's just poop flowing through that which, movie, which, but you don't see it's someone. Gotta come poop, from you see somewhere. One guy taking a poop. It's gotta come from somewhere, man. Like it's it doesn't just magically appear. We're going to fight about this offline. We're going to fight about how many people... pretzel sticks into a boat like, I gotta get out of here. If you have seen Triangle Sadness, come to our new Instagram page and comment on how many people you think are pooing (laughs) in that movie. Are seen depicted taking a shit in that movie. Listen, we can do with implied... Well, no, maybe implied, because then if it's implied, then like everybody in every movie is taking shit. Instagram is going to ban us because they think that we're posting poop content. Oh, Oh, God, we're going to be put on poop lists. I don't like that. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't want it. I don't want it. All right. Um, wait, where did, how did we get there? Oh, you're right. You're, you're demented quiz. We'll do a different movie and I'll come up with a Tyra Banks Beyonce quiz for you. Sure. Okay. Um, we bought a zoo 2011 sort of comes out during what I would call, and I say this as somebody who loves War Horse and think it was the best movie of the Best Picture nominees of 2011. As I was going to say, please give yourself 10 minutes to talk about War Horse. The December of, of mawkishness feels like the the moment where, like, David Edelstein had a, three par- a three-way review of <laughs> War Horse, uh, extremely loud and incredibly close, and We Bought a Zoo, which all opened essentially, like, the same week, week and a half. And mm. I was like, I imagine the editorial decision there was just like, all three of these movies are sort of going for the same general vibe. So just, like, knock all three of these out at once, please. Well, it's not just, like, mawkishness that there was a lot of in this season, which I've talked about before as being, like, one of my least favorite. There's a lot of movies, like, centered around or, you know, actually for families and children. Like, the movies you mentioned in the David Edelstein review are, like, kids movies in the oscar race there was also obviously hugo uh the descendants counts where it's just like okay yeah this is a lot of children yes yes and then you have uh because this movie opened christmas week and like you're like i think of it in the war horse of it all but i'm also thinking of like it was a real kind of like total darkness or see the light and good in humanity because girl with the dragon tattoo also opened sure so in the same multiplex you can watch you know yeah the goodness of man in warhorse and you can also <laughs> sure. see rooney mara kicking a dildo up a man's we'll ass. talk about the cameron crow of it all this was his first movie in six years uh, after Elizabeth Town, which we've also talked about. One of our most about, popular episodes. Uh, which we talked about with uh, our friend Phil Iskove. And that movie was four years after Vanilla Sky. So, like, in the span of a decade, 
Cameron Crowe has directed two features. He directed the Pearl Jam documentary, and I think there was another documentary in there. But in the span of a decade, he's made two movies, and both of them were uh, flops. And he would go on to make a third flop in a row uh, a few years later with Aloha, and hasn't hasn't made it back to the to the big screen with his redemption movie yet. I still hold out hope for Cameron Crowe. Okay, but here's the thing we're going to talk about with We Bought a Zoo. We Bought a Zoo wasn't a flop, though. It well, made seventy-five right. million. It made dollars. some money. Like, it was. It was. It made yeah. money, and but it was also a joke. It was a. It was, but it's a. It, the movie is treated as a joke. But it's also like I don't know the type of people who are going to make jokes about this movie, like us, and like you know other people. Like we're not the target demo for. We're this not. Movie. This but is like it's this been... is kind of a almost passe type of like family movie but starring real people from the 90s except like the language is a little harsh in this movie like you have people saying dick and asshole in this movie but like this is a family targeted yes movie it's the type of movie that even in 2011 didn't really exist all that much i agree with your general premise that movies that like us like assholes like us are snarky about are, Cynical bastards, right? Yes. Are not necessarily, uh, you can't necessarily throw them out of the culture because there are a lot of other people who could latch on to them. And this movie did make a decent amount of money, but it's been over a decade since we bought a zoo, and I feel like if the like quote unquote, like lack of a better term normie population <laughs> were to have was going to fixate on this and latch onto it. It would have happened by now, and we have. I was seen a little that surprised either. that it wasn't on Disney Plus for me to watch, considering it was a Fox movie. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it seems like the type of thing that like Disney Plus could make now if they were concerned with anything that isn't IP, and it would do fine. And here's the thing: I think this movie is fine. Oh. I don't think it's that bad. Oh. Like. I thought oh, I was going to maybe gonna be the... You're going to be the person that hates the movie. I thought episode. you were going to hate it more than I did. Because, like, I don't, like, have, like, dark, vicious feelings toward this movie. But I don't think it works at all at, like, many fundamental levels. And I think I struggle to find moments of relatable human uh, interaction <laughs> in this maybe movie. Maybe we should get into the plot description then before we right. really get into the movie. I also, but I will also say, and I want to get into this in comparison to the failures of Cameron Crowe. I think that this movie is perfectly passable. Oh, I would watch Elizabeth Town any day before I watch this movie again. That might be fair, but that rewatch of Elizabeth Town that we watched for this movie, I was like, oh, I can't defend this movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when I used to defend it, um, I would we'll definitely watch it. Elizabeth Town more than this. I don't know. I did not. I can't wait until we do an Aloha episode. We're gonna have to. Seen we got to complete the trilogy. I have also never seen Aloha, so we'll. Uh, yeah, we'll listeners, yes. we are here talking about we bought a zoo. We bought directed by Cameron Crowe. We bought zoo. Um. Uh. Also written by Cameron Crowe with Eileen Brosh McKenna. Great Eileen Brosh McKenna. Of, we'll put with uh, in scare quotes because I'm pretty sure what happened was Eileen Brosh McKenna wrote a script and Cameron Crowe 
rewrote it. <laughs> Cameron wrote it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, based uh, loosely, quite loosely, yeah. on the memoir by Benjamin Mee. Uh, maybe my problems with the movie are the changes it makes from the adaptation because it's like, okay, so you're making some bullshit. Anyway, we'll get into <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> starring Matt Damon. Our 10th Matt Damon. We we'll get will into get that. into that. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson, Thomas Hayden Church, Colin Ford, L. Fanning, our fifth L. Fanning. Mm-hmm. Get ready, Miss Fanning, for your six timers quiz soon. Patrick Fugit, Angus McFadden, in as many weeks. Um, I know. John- I-, I love when we do an accidental back to back. And, well, this won't be back to back. Well, this but- isn't back to back, but it's close. Right. As we're recording this, our Lost City of Zed episode publishes tomorrow. So it's feeling right. like it's. Um, you know how, like, when they explain a wormhole and they put that, like, piece of paper there and they fold it so that two disparate points meet in the That's folded middle? That's what we're doing with Lost City of we Zed. We didn't talk enough right about him in, in our Zed he's, episode, too, we, and he's tremendous he's in that tremendous. movie. We talked a little bit about it. He was He's great in that movie. Um, John Michael Higgins, Carla Gallo, J.B. Smoove, the aforementioned wonderful national institution that is Kim Whitley yes. and Maggie Elizabeth Jones. The movie opened wide uh, December 23rd, 2011. Also included in its box office mojo information, I forgot that this movie did a Thanksgiving weekend sneak preview. Oh. Remember sneak previews? That's what they're trying to sell Glass Onion as, essentially, is that, like, it's open in theaters no, for, like, a one-week preview. And it's like, no, you're just only running it for a week in, in, in theaters. I feel like in order to get into AMC, like, they had to let AMC dictate, like, the verbiage of how they promoted sure. that. Too. It was kind and of wild like, so stupid. seeing Bardo at a Regal the other day and seeing netflix trailers at the regal like oh they played netflix trailers there was i've i've legit never seen a netflix trailer there was a glass onion trailer but there was also something um that's that's exclusively not exclusively streaming but whatever like not doing like a a ballyhooed theatrical i can't remember it now but yeah there were a few netflix trailers it was real interesting Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, oh pinocchio it was a pinocchio trailer Pinocchio. Yeah. I'm excited to see Pinocchio. I am too. I watch Pinocchio. Um, But yeah, remember in like the 90s when you would do, when there were legit regular sneak previews and it's like, you can pay to see the sneak preview of this and stay to watch this movie that's already in theaters for free. We somehow, uh, I don't remember how, it's not like we had won a contest, but we had, I feel like we had like been selected somehow or like got... Uh, somehow invited to a sneak preview screening of Angels in the Outfield when I was a kid. And that was awesome. You felt definitely cool. We felt cool. I remember, I'm pretty sure my mom took us and me and my brother and my sister, and we all went and saw Angels in the Outfield and it was like sneak preview screening and it was packed and we were so excited to see it and it was great. And Tony Danza and and Christopher <laughs> Lloyd and it was wonderful. I loved it. Wait, who's the mom in Angels in the Outfield? Let me look this up really quickly. I don't know why I'm so curious about this, but I am. Because someone I imagine played Joseph Gordon-Levitt's mom, and she was like, "If it's like Lisa Ann Walter, I'm gonna like flip shit because like that's the perfect." Uh, she would have been too young for that at that point, 1994. Oh, you know who it is? Patricia Heaton. Probably. It's no, and I believe. 
He's maybe living in a foster home because it's Brenda Fricker. Oh, right. Yes, it is a foster home. Yeah. It's like, it. yeah. Yes. Uh, the great Brenda Fricker. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Now we can move on. I have not now prepared that, uh, for this. Now that we have uh, uh, invoked Brenda, <laughs> would you like to give a 60-second plot description? pause while I, like, touch my statue of Brenda Fricker on the, on the <laughs> shelf. Um, yeah, yes. Uh, yes, I have not prepared a 60-second plot description. I'm winging it, uh, so we'll see how that goes. I, I have faith in you. Yeah, okay. Glad All right, then your 60-second plot description for We Bought a Zoo starts now. Yeah, Matt Damon plays Benjamin Mee, who is a single father of two. His wife has uh, somewhat recently died, and he's having trouble. When you have two kids, when you're a single dad in a movie, one of them must hate you. And in this case, it's his teenage son, Dylan, and he's having problems. He's shoplifting. And so Matt Damon decides to move the family to a new home, which uh, coincidentally just has a zoo attached to it. So they've bought a zoo, and they are moving to a zoo, despite the protestations of his brother, Thomas Hayden Church. At the zoo uh, is a staff. 30 seconds. Sort of a skeleton staff of people, including Scarlett Johansson as the most unlikely zookeeper you ever did see. And they've got to get this zoo into ship shape, or else John Michael Higgins, as the inspector, is going to shut him down. And they work hard at it, and there's a tiger who is sick, who has to eventually be put down. And Al Fanning has a romance with the sun. 10 seconds. And they eventually get it done. And they get it, and he you know comes into some extra money, and they get the zoo working and then there's a rainy summer that almost threatens to ruin it but that's time people climb over a downed tree which is such a like their insurance does not cover uh that they should not be allowing people to risk injury climbing over it covers it covers maulings but it doesn't cover also uh, this is a zoo and i would imagine having a passable exit is a good idea in case of something going wrong at the zoo. And like, if something gets out and starts stampeding, you're going to want people to have a passable exit route out of your <laughs> zoo. Like, it's just a terrible, all that work to get this place up to code. And then if John Michael Higgins had just shown up on opening day or whatever, and seen them having people climb over this down tree, they would have been shut down. Get your act together, Matt Damon. Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, yeah, once you get past the setup, it's just a lot of, like, gotta make this zoo work. Um, once you get past every, um, you know, the the utter bombardment that this movie gives you of implausibilities, mm. uh, I think it's fine. <laughs> I want to bring up, um, I closed this tab and I shouldn't have, let me open it up again, because it was the Roger Ebert review of uh, We Bought a Zoo. Which, he gave two and a half stars, which I think is about right. That's what I agree. Um, I agree. But he mentions the uh, Scarlett Johansson character as the head, this is where I'm quoting, as the head of the zoo's animal keepers, who seems adamantly unaware that she's in a script that requires her to sooner or later kiss the hero. Which is, like, exactly right. Like, there yeah. is no, like, I had fooled myself. He's her employer. <laughs> I had fooled myself into thinking that like, oh, I guess maybe they don't get together because there really is, other than the fact that they are just in scenes together a lot, there really is no sense that things are moving towards a romantic connection between them unless you just subscribe to the idea that like it is required that if you have a movie in which Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson are both single, that they must end up 
in a romantic relationship at the end. And like literally Make it just her comes a lesbian. Out, it just comes out just just let her be a lesbian. Um every time she mentions my girlfriends, I I I'm like, right? But like no, she means like my girlfriends. Um no, and then like at the end of the movie, like literally at the eleventh hour, she just comes in and she's like, I've had a crush on you. I this have whole decided time, to kiss you now. And now I'm gonna kiss you. And it's like great to pay off this zero chemistry that you guys have had. I like Scarlett Johansson. I am a yeah. I am an apologist. I tend to think like when people get really mad at the dumb shit she says, I'm like, she's just being an actress, you guys. Like, chill out. Um Here's this what is I will right say. before her like resurgence too, and I thought that yeah, it the Avengers been is the next that... summer. Like yeah. yeah, Avengers is the next year, and then right after that, she has Under the Skin, she has Don John, she has her, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I thought it would was more in the middle of that, but it's no. no. Uh, but the thing is, I think it would have been much easier and much more believable for Scarlett Johansson to have played a tree in this movie than for her to play a zookeeper. <laughs> I just don't buy her in this role at all. And it's because it's Cameron Crowe. But they give her a short haircut. They give her a short haircut. Um, And because it's Cameron Crowe, I think everybody's sort of on guard for her being in any way manic pixie-ish. And she's not that. But She's not. Elle Fanning is. Well, that thing makes even less sense than the other thing. We'll get into that. Elle Fanning is like walking around in this movie, like literally asking questions like, if you could only be, if you could only have animals or people, what would you choose? If you had found out at the end of this movie that Elle Fanning was a figment of the teenage son's imagination, I would have been like, yes. She's literally instagram girl making phrases with like <laughs> light signs she has no know? uh inner life but so but the the scarlett johansson character gets saddled with these sort of bursts of very monologue emotion that she'll just sort of like blast out at, him a lot. at matt damon yeah. and it like it feels very cameron crowish and it's frustrating because as one of the world's foremost almost famous fans, I think he does such a good job in that movie of first of all casting, which was a you know roller coaster because like Crudup and and Kate Hudson are both second choices for their roles and they end up being perfect. Um, but also like he makes all of these character motivations, and maybe it's because he lived that story more or less. Um, all of those character motivations make sense even when they are sort of pitched and sort of, um, you know, yelled at the screen or whatever. Everything in that m- makes sense. Nothing in We Bought a Zoo. I, like, I, I'll accept the, pr- the, the, uh, the concept that the premise that Matt Damon rebounding from the death of his wife and not knowing what to do with this teenage son who doesn't like him very much, um, would decide to go and buy a zoo and like do something big and different. But like the thing at the very beginning of the movie where they try to sell him as this like adventure journalist and then everything with the Scarlett Johansson character, like these characters just fundamentally to me don't feel like real people. And, and they, well, at least Matt Damon's character is a real, a right. truly real person. Right. Right. You know. So that was a big part of why the movie didn't work for me. And maybe the fact that I'm not, I don't romanticize animals, uh, meant that like the rest of it wasn't going to be able to make up for 
all this other stuff either. I don't know. I mean, I'm willing, I think I'm willing to just kind of go with the mechanics of the movie in a way while also being able to pick it apart. Yeah. But like, I think it's ultimately like harmless and fine. Sure. And yes. I'm not trying to be a backdoor snob by being like, this is a movie for families who cares. <laughs> right. And like, you know, let people enjoy things. That, yada, like, yada. I think that, yeah. you yeah. know, who cares if those movies are good or not? That's not what I think. Right. But like, I, I don't see this movie. I see this movie as annoying in parts. Sure. I see it as never believable or real, but I don't see it as a failure in the way that, you know, Cameron Crowe has made failures. I think Even like right. Vanilla Sky, which is like a grand, incredibly entertaining it's a failure. fascinating failure. It's such it's a very f- good failure in that way because it like it really gives because you a lot. Because it feels to... like a swing, right? It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, some like the way that Elizabeth Town is like, oh, this is this is like Alien Town, um, right? You know, all of Vanilla Sky feel all of its mishaps feel intentional. Yeah, I think that's right. And just don't work. Um, It'll be interesting to to view Aloha through that lens (laughs) as well. It's a zoo. Yay! Chris, we interrupt this um, zoo progress report. Uh, Everybody, hold on to your tiger cages and whatnot. We are breaking in to talk about the latest update in the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. The donkeys um, are running wild. <laughs> the season. donkeys are running wild. That is true. Uh, as true today as it was in uh, 2011. Bad time to be a donkey in a movie. Sure, except you're getting thus so much glamour. Lots of red carpet opportunities. I would say, for donkeys in Hollywood, it's never been a more exciting time. I feel like you are no more, no moment has the donkey been more castable than right now. I, I saw like. a tweet that was like actors on actors, EO and Jenny from Banshees of Inna Sharon. <laughs> Do you think somebody's gonna greenlight a hee haw movie now just so that the donkey, the animated donkey from the hee haw logo can get in on this action? <laughs> or like honestly, Eeyore spin off movie for Winnie the Pooh. It's time. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Starring Jenny. Uh I'm I'm sure <laughs> oh, oh, so um, you're saying live action. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's probably the next thing that David Lowry yeah. is doing to make money from Disney. <laughs> I mean, I would anyway. Take, all this yeah. to say, all this donkeys to say. did fine, and we bought a zoo. Probably donkeys did fine, and we bought a zoo. Donkeys are cleaning up on the awards circuit. So uh, this week's update on the uh, Vulture Movies Fantasy League, which, by the way, I think last time I neglected to mention the URL, which is important. So um, it's moviegame.vulture.com. From there, you can click on a link to the landing page where the rules are still there. All of the calendar of upcoming events are still there, but also you can check out the leaderboard and you can, you know, do a little control F on your team's name and you can see where you stand in the current leaderboard of the Vulture Movies Fantasy Game, which is, I think, super exciting. I'm always checking where I am in relation to friends and colleagues because how else do I uh, measure my worth? So anyway, Chris, the thing I want to talk about this week on our little update is we are now past 
New York Film Critics Circle, National Board of Review, and Los Angeles Film Critics Circle, which or Film Critics Association, which announced, I would say earlier today, but that would misrepresent just how much of the day was taken up with Los Angeles <laughs> Film Critics voting. It's from sunup to sundown. The critics were voting. They took a break for lunch and let everybody know about it, as always. My favorite part of the season. They were in the t- reporting from the tunnel under Ocean Avenue. <laughs> okay, what is that joke? I'm pretty sure it's a Lana Del Rey joke. I don't okay, know. Okay, that's... It's a SZA makes, joke because the SZA album just dropped and I still haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. It makes perfect sense that I would not know about it then. Okay, I feel fine. I feel... I don't feel out of the loop anymore. Thank you. Um... So those are kind of the big three. The National Society of Film Critics sort of rounds out that quartet, but they don't vote until January. So, Which is why now, a lot of their winners can feel like, not um, reactionary, but maybe they won't pull the trigger for Kate Blanchett because everybody all season long has been giving it to Kate Blanchett, etc. Right. They will have, they're usually good for at least one acting award where it's like a breath of fresh air from the sort of sameness of award season. The death but, of Mr. Lazarescu. Exactly. We'll get to I them Which I think was January. actually LA, but spiritually, you understand what I'm spiritually, saying. Spiritually, 100%. Yes. Um, but I, I sort of did a little quick tallying up. Uh, absent box office points, because box office points, of course, are relative to when you signed up. Um, just considering awards points thus far, which have been Independent Spirit Award nominations plus NBR, New York Critics, LA Critics, uh, our top 10 point getters thus far, uh, two I would say that were really expected. Everything Everywhere All at Once and Tar are like well ahead of the rest of the field for Critics uh, Awards points. Um, at this point, everything everywhere all at once is at 170. Tar is at 165. Now, Tar was significantly less expensive than everything everywhere all at once in the fantasy game. So, if you purchased Tar right now, you're getting better value. I would argue that everything everywhere all at once has a higher ceiling in award season in general, but Tar still holds the possibility of, uh, of, you know, going very far. But I would say right now Tar is doing what it needs to do in award in uh critics award season, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree. I'm not sure quite so sure I agree that the ceiling is lower for Tar by the time of the end game of it. Maybe in terms of wins you could have That's uh, sort of what I'm saying. Something. Yeah. Well, also I just feel like I still feel like come Oscars <clears throat> everything everywhere all at once is probably looking at anywhere from seven to ten nominations and i think tar is looking at anywhere from three to six right i wouldn't be surprised if it lands like eight tar yes i would love to do a bet with you on this but let's do this later let's put a pin in that <laughs> i can't keep losing money to you this season. I, well I'm this is true any bet to you well uh, this is we we've talked we talked in toronto remember about we should do another bet to like replenish the waters after our two big bets uh, or at least one Since of them. My is Michelle Williams bet, which I will win money on, but not this year. But not this year, right? Um, so maybe we could do a, a bet on over under on uh, nominations for Tar. Let's put a pin in that. Let's revisit that maybe next week. Um, and if that's the case, then Tar becomes an even better value. But right now, they're they're doing what they need to do at the Critics Awards. That's what you bought Tar for. If you added Tar to your roster, it's because you thought this was going to happen. It was going to clean up in Critics Awards. 
I want to talk about our third place film, though, which currently right now, in terms of awards points, is After Sun, which is doing so much better in awards season than I expected. I was basically expecting some best first film awards for Charlotte Wells, highly deserved. Which it's but, getting, though. Which it's getting, but it's getting that plus some other things. It feels like all of these <laughs> critics' bodies are finding ways to give it an award. It got an editing award at Los Angeles Film Critics. It ended up on not just the best independent films top 10 at NBR, but actually like the overall best films top 10. And it, it's a really good value in the pool. That's a $5 movie. If you picked up after Sun for $5, you are skipping all the way to the bank with these <laughs> 85 points thus far. Like, that's really good. And it also means good possible things for down the road. Now, where I was really expecting After Sun to be a non-entity in the Oscar conversation, now it could get a couple nominations here or there. I think Paul Mescal now is probably in the thick of a Best Actor possible conversation right now. I would agree. Which is exciting for me. Yeah. Because I love him in that movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll be a Best Picture nominee, but I think it's no worse off than like the top 15 right now. Do you know what I mean? If you're talking right. about possible Oscar, uh, about possible Best Picture nominees, which is pretty rad. Like maybe a screenplay nominee. This seems like the kind of movie that would get a screenplay nomination, you know, small, uh, uh, you know, widely loved by a, uh, you know, small but loyal <laughs> good group of viewers. So or that editing nomination, like the Los Angeles critics gave it. Would love that. Would love that. Uh, rounding out our top 10, Women Talking, currently 65 points. Banshees have been a share in 60. Banshees has been doing really well. Uh, I, I feel bad a little bit for Carrie Condon that she has thus far not gotten a major prize for Best Supporting Actress. And in some ways, I look at that and I'm like, "Is would she have gotten one if Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson were not also getting prizes? So that like critics organizations were like, well, we can't give everything to Banshees of Inishare and we can't right. also give them Supporting Actress. I thought she was some of the runner-up she for has some of the, the major ones. She won Boston today, but you know, that's oh, not she did one win of the, Boston. She won right. Boston. Not um, part of the fantasy game, but good. good exactly. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, Banshees of Sharon has been winning prizes and all sorts of uh, screenplay prizes, Colin Farrell prizes, Brendan Gleeson prizes. Um, some surprising ones in the 5 to 10 range. Emily the Criminal uh, did very well at the Independent Spirit Awards and then also showed up on the NBR list for independent film. The Inspection has been showing up uh, pretty well, also did well at the Independent Spirit Awards. Bones and All keeps finding ways to make an appearance. Top Gun Maverick, of course, the Best Picture winner at NBR, helps Goose there. Hilarious. 40-point total for awards. And then After Yang, which, uh, you know, I don't... That's a very low-ceiling movie. <laughs> but 40 points by this point, you know, you didn't pay very much for it. So Yeah, After you. Yang was a dollar movie, $2? I think it was a $2 movie, yeah. So... It's interesting. What do you make of this top 10 awards points list? I think there's going to be a lot of changing in that over the next few weeks. I'm sure also uh, the next week will bring both the Globes and the Critics' Choice. I'm sure it will be a very different leaderboard next week. 
Yeah, by the time you are listening to this, it is very possible that the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice have both announced their award nominations, which will, yeah, like you said, just uh, a flood of points will be uh, uh, flying into a bunch of these movies, and we'll see what the shakeup is. Who knows? Maybe After Sun will keep that number three spot. I want to give a shout out on, on the air here to our current, as we stand here on Sunday the 11th, current first place team is NY Cinephile, uh, still in first place for, I believe, our second week, uh, roster of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which I will say, Avatar has been getting a few critics prizes here and there. So I feel like with the expected box office that we all think it's going to get, um, that is probably going to prove to be the box office pick that succeeds better than Wakanda Forever, just in terms of overall. If you were flipping a coin between picking Black Panther Wakanda Forever or Avatar The Way of Water, and you landed on Avatar, I think you probably got the right one, the better pick, the higher ceiling pick. I think it's a Best Picture nomination is very much in the cards for that movie at this point, sort of reading the tea leaves. Would you agree? I agree. Um, anyway, but NY Cinephile had Wakanda Forever, Tar, Banshees of Inisherin, After Sun, After Yang. All of those movies did well. We just mentioned <laughs> uh, A Love Song, Don't Worry Darling, and X. I think we, we uh, uh, recited this list last week. But anyway, congratulations on another week at the top NY Cinephile. We'll see if it lasts through the Golden Globe nominations. Um, Anything else you want to throw in before we uh, we return to the zoo? Uh, no, let's get back to the zoo. It's the zoo. Yay! And like, like I said, I generally really, really like and root for Cameron Crowe. His brand, I think what a lot of people find very um, cheesy about Cameron Crowe, I give a lot of leeway to. And... Mm-hmm. Um, like the soundtrack in this movie, which I imagine would be a thing that annoyed you, is one of the things. It annoyed like, me a little bit. Yeah, I, I have so much. Um, I cut him so much slack for that, mostly because half of the needle drops, any needle drop that's from like before 1980, the Randy Newman is, needle drop is really good. It is, and I like that song. Although that song, uh, I think it's going to rain today. I always associate with beaches. That yes, I was going to say better in beaches. beaches. Yep. Um, but like the Neil, all the Neil Young uh, needle drops, all are like, oh, this is a thing my dad would just be playing in the garage. You know what I mean? No, but like, also it's like it's like we get it. You like Neil Young, like with sure. uh, Cameron Crowe. Like it's like yes, you have five artists that you rely. To me, on. I find it a little more annoying when he's like White Stripes Man or whatever, and it's just like okay. Um, but or Bonnie Vare. Yes, although we should mention that the soundtrack for this, the official soundtrack to that for this, is uh, "Wall to Wall Cigarros," because um, the score was done by Jonesy. Yes, and I thought I had remembered that like Jonesy had gotten like a Critics' Choice or a some kind of precursor. Yeah, but he didn't. Interesting. Um, no nominations for Jonesy. Part of me. Do we pronounce the J in 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 that name because he's Scandinavian? Okay. I don't know. I've never heard it pronounced out loud before. I, I'm scared to say I it. think I've heard Jonesy, but I okay. live in Ohio. I just so like the idea that, that like, this lead singer of this, like, ambient weird uh, 
Scandinavian group has the same name as like a construction guy on the site or whatever. It's like a Joe. Much like Bon Iver, it uh, sounds like whales dying. (laughs) I like Cigarros a lot. Don't come after me. I like Bon Iver. Um, the sound drop that he uh, that Cameron Crowe utilizes when they sort of uh, scale the tree in the in the road and they see everybody and it's uh, I can't remember how that title is pronounced but anyway it's this big cigarro song that like is used in trailers a bunch and whatever right. um feels like cameron crow like back edited the whole movie to like get to that point and he's a, he's a director who i imagine plans for his needle drops in a very intentional way so like that right. makes sense there was um a I want to look up this guy's name, actually, because there's this YouTuber, not YouTuber, that sort of has a connotation that it's like a, you know, personality brand now. But there was this guy who used to do uh, compilation videos on uh, YouTube that I don't think he does anymore. I think he stopped doing them in like 2014, 2015 or something like that. Um, But as I look him up on YouTube, his name is Matt Shapiro. And he does, he would do these like year end compilations of like the best you know movies of the year or whatever which got me into like wanting to make you know those um and for 2008 he did that cigarro song uh happy pola i believe is how we spell it um and always makes me think anytime i hear that song now i think of clips from like the dark knight and revolutionary road and you know uh all the sort of like the best of 2008 or whatever um anyway that made me think of that, and I wanted to shout out that guy. I don't know if he still makes videos or whatever, but they were very good, and I like. Move to a different platform beyond YouTube because people like Joe Reed call him a YouTuber. Well, I just don't like <laughs> the way that that sounds like vlogger. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to. I'm a nice person. I wouldn't call someone a vlogger. Um, anyway, could be worse. You could call them a content creator. It's <laughs> true. Okay, so... I saw the bleakest thing ever, uh-oh. and it was, like, meant as a Christmas gift for children. <laughs> it was, like, content creation kit. And it was, oh, like... Oh, no. Uh, it literally on the box, content Woof. creation kit. And it was, like, uh, a ring light. Uh, like... No. Shit like that. A tripod. And I I, I, I wanted to walk into the sea. Um, this is what turns me into that Isabelle Huppert uh, gift from the <laughs> no. round table. Just, you know. <laughs> no. No. Um, I don't know. Maybe Matt Damon, uh, to establish a better relationship with his son, needed to give him a content creator kit. Um, <laughs> or a Tumblr page for his artwork. I will say, I... F- I tend to want to like the sullen teens in movies more than I do because I just feel like they are created for us to be frustrated with them. And they are created for us to be like, I would never be that shitty if I were a teen. When, like, I am, like, enough of us probably were and had our moments. You know what I mean? And, um, it just also feels like a trope, as I said in my 60-second plot, where it's like, oh, a parent died, one of the surviving children is going to be so hateful towards the surviving parent, and it just... The other one's going to be a weird angel. Basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, you just, you get that trope all the time, and I'm sure it's based in 
you know, fact and, and sound psychology and whatnot and all this sort of stuff. But it's just like, God, we see it so often. And I don't know. This is why I end up defending the, the War of the Worlds This is one of kid. the reasons why I made us finally pull the trigger on this movie. The scene where it's just the son and Matt Damon barking each other was mm-hmm. making the rounds online. And I didn't really? even realize. I was like, what are people making fun of here? And I watched the clip and I didn't know what movie it was from. When was uh, it making the rounds online? Like recently? I saw it a few weeks ago. Really? Wow. I didn't yeah. think anybody remembered anything about this movie besides the title. Yeah, wow. it was just, well, you know how it is. Like, online, people like to decontextualize scenes of people oh. arguing and be like, this is abuse. <laughs> this, like, my, my forever, I will never get less than furious about what Twitter did to Marriage Story. Like, genuinely, okay, I will get so mad. Okay, but that started as, Speaking like, of typical memery, where it's like, you're not making fun of the thing, you're just decontextualizing right. it to make a joke. But then, then people decided like, they were going to become armchair film critics for a movie they hadn't seen, and decide that, like, this movie is trash because I don't understand um, how emotions work and how things can ramp up to Well, but also decontextualizing that scene made people miss, like, you know, six or seven punchlines that are happening in that scene. Yes. Yes. It made, yes, it, it, but it, it was people who were sort of defiantly ill-informed who decide that they are going to now drag a movie and to sort of like reshape a movie, how a movie exists within the popular culture because of like for the lulls, you know what I mean? Essentially. And I'm like, go find your own shit to like, go find another Twitter, go find another medium to like dabble in with your weird, you know, half-assed analysis of shit like go find another pop star to like stand i don't care like get out of my (laughs) get out of my medium get out of my fandom it's so annoying to me i find it that brings it back to scarlett johansson though and i kind of want to bring it back to this relationship that the movie is absolutely adamant that they have um because i feel like part of the issue is Johansson and Damon have two completely separate casting issues in this movie. Damon is that I think the movie needs him to be much more relatable and charming than I think he is in a role like this. Like, yeah, I almost think Damon is more charming in like a more rascally or like a true grit or someone who has an edge to them, mm-hmm. like a goodwill hunting mm-hmm. versus like this, where it's just like, he just has to be nice grieving dad. He needs to be and, relatable white male. <laughs> and it's not in, uh, I, I mean, the character's not well-written. So it's like, you would feel bad for him. He's anybody. the least interesting person in most of the scenes that he's in. I agree. Yeah. And then you have Scarlett Johansson who like has to be tasked with like, make it seem like there is an interest of flirtation here while being incredibly miscast and being like charming at that and like she's good at that side of it but never do you believe that she is like a zookeeper and usually when you see these like animal handling scenes it's like everyone is doing the real grunt work like angus mcfadden you believe is going around with a dart gun but then yeah, i believe see, that's like, how Scarlett he lives Johansson his life holding yes. a snake and smiling yeah. in the background yeah and that's supposed to you know um on the subject of matt damon though before we get away from that 
This is our, he is our second actor ever to reach the 10 film threshold. And him and Meryl. Meryl did it, uh, when we did our Prairie Home Companion episode. I did a weird little EW based quiz for that. I wasn't fully satisfied with that as a, this is what we're going to do for all our 10 timers. Part of me feels like it'd be interesting if we did a different thing for every time we hit a 10 timer, but here's what I've devised for this one is okay. the first of all the 10 films that we have talked about with Matt Damon in them starting with our vi- uh, fifth movie ever that we ever did Courage Under Fire Suburbicon The Majestic in which he is a uh a voiceover reading a le- narrating a letter All the Pretty Horses Finding Forrester in which he has a cameo as a lawyer uh The Rainmaker Promised Land Gus Van Sant's Promised Land Margaret downsizing and now we bought a zoo so 10 movies what i'm going to do chris with you is i'm going to quiz you and see if you can name 10 actors who were in each of these movies so for each movie (laughs) i want to see if you can get to 10 actors who were in them okay i do not think I can do this, but... I want to see how close you can get, though, and see which one, like, some of them you will be able so to. So I have to name a hundred actors. Sure, yes. Okay. Uh, Courage Under Fire, let's start with that. Can you name ten? Oh, no, and now, of course, IMDb is giving me problems. <gasps> but I can no. go to... No, it's fine, it's fine. It's back. Okay. Um, Can you name me ten actors who were in Courage Under Fire? Denzel Washington, One. Meg Ryan. Yeah. Does Matt Damon count? <laughs> no, we, we no, can't let Matt Damon count. That would be yeah. um uh saw this movie what 4 years ago, 5 years ago, whenever we started this. Um It's like Jelko Ivanic in that yes, movie. Yes, Jelko Ivanic, okay. very good. Um, David Morse? No. Uh, wait, give me a second. Because it feels Fully plausible. That it feels in that movie. In- incredibly plausible that David Morse could be in this movie. Um, and then also let me know when you want to tag out and go to the next one. I may already want to tag out. I'm not seeing David. <laughs> let me just do a search. No, not David Morse. Okay, so you want to tag out to the next one. Yes. The next one is going to be Suburbicon. Suburbicon. Okay. So, uh, teeny tiny angel baby, uh, uh, Noah Jupe. Yep. Uh, Julianne Moore. Yep. Oscar Isaac. Yep. Um, ugh, who else is in that horrible movie? Directed by George Clooney, not starring, not George, starring Clooney. George Clooney. Um, I don't think anyone else famous is in that movie that I would know their name. Want to tag out? Tag out. All right. Your next film is The Majestic. Jim Carrey, Martin Landau. Beyond that, I have to tap out. <laughs> okay. Um, there are definitely some others in there, but like, 
I don't remember. You anything don't remember from anything that from movie. it. That's fine. Okay, the next one is going to be all the pretty horses. Penelope Cruz, Lucas Haas, um. Not Ben Foster, but there is like a real Ben Foster type in there. <laughs> um, a real Ben Foster type is such a like fascinating <laughs> concept. Is David Morrison this movie? Wait, who are the two that you had said? Penelope Cruz and Lucas Haas. I love. It's not Lucas Haas. It's Lucas. No, but it's the it's the other one. It's the Sling Blade Kid. Yeah. The um, what's his name? You were right with Lucas. Lucas. I'll give you partial Oof. credit. It's Lucas Black. Lucas Black. Yes. Put Lucas Black and Lewis Black in a movie together. Like, <laughs> Watch the sparks um... fly. Um, <laughs> let me know if you're ready to tag out. Yeah, I got to tag out. Okay, so you got two <laughs> in All the Pretty Horses. Um, Finding Forrester. Sean Connery. Um, he is the man now, dog. He is the man now, dog. Busta Rhymes, Anna Paquin, F. Murray Abraham. I love that this I is remember? by far the best you are doing. Is uh, is finding Forrest. the other lead? Why can't I remember his name? The one because he was never like, in what? anything else. That any that... he was never in anything else. Um, Matt Damon, obviously Connery, obviously. Um, F. Murray Abraham's like the villain. Who's like the friends or the parent or? Wow, this is hard. Okay, tap out. All right, the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker. Claire Danes, Danny DeVito, John Voight. Um. Ooh, who's the actress of a certain age in that movie? Indeed, who? There's a lot of people in this movie. There's a lot of people in this movie, and I'm not going to get all of them. Um, said Danny DeVito, said Claire Danes, said... Voight. Voight. Um, there's more, like, legendary people in it, because it's Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. So it's, like, stacked. Is it Lois Smith? It's not Lois Smith. It's not Lois Smith, but that's a good but guess. But it's a, it's a formerly, like, actress, a supporting actress winner from the decades or something. Um, yes. Yes, there is somebody who fits that bill. Yes. Who had won supporting actress before The Rainmaker. Yes. Like Ava Marie Saint. You're in the ballpark. You're Oh, you're in the ballpark. I, I will say, think of the movies that we have been watching to prepare for screen drafts. Got it. Um, one that we've maybe done. One, she won her Oscar for that movie? I don't know if she won it for that movie. Give me a second. Um, it's not like Kim Hunter. It's not Kim Hunter. Uh, she won her Supporting Actress Oscar. No, but for a different Best Picture winner, actually, interestingly enough. A different Best Picture winner than we're watching for Screen Dress. Yes. So, again, not Ava Marie Saint. Um, oh, man, this is hard, because I know that it's right there in that ballpark. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Let me know when you want to move on to the next Matt Damon movie. We're going to come back to this, but yes, let's move on. Okay. This is my favorite kind of quiz where we have to come back to things. I'm diabolical this way. Okay. Um, 
Wait, where is this movie? Uh, it's going to be Promised Land. Let me just find it on IMDb. Okay, Promised Land. Uh, Rosemary DeWitt. I love that um, that's your first. S- Scoot McNary. Um, <laughs> where there is a Scoot McNary, there must also be a Walton Goggins, so I must say Walton Goggins. Let me look. Let's see. Goggins. No, no Walton Goggins. You're missing, like... Casey Affleck. No. I don't think so. Really? Oh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski's the other headliner. Yeah, well, one of the other headliners. You're missing a big one. The other one is, like, Damon's fixer or whatever. Somebody on Damon's team Yeah, like... Two time or uh, three time Oscar winner. Three time Oscar winner. Yeah. All for acting. Uh huh. Oh, so someone older then. Yeah. Who has three acting Oscars? That's not like Jack Nicholson. Oh, you're falling into the. Uh... The classic, uh, the doctor was his mother trap. (laughs) Oh, so wait, what? Sometimes the person we're thinking of can be a woman. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) but no, his, I was, I was thinking, I was saying it's the person that works with Damon that is like his fixer. Yeah. I was thinking that that was like a Casey Affleck type. No. It's Francis McDormand. It's Francis McDormand, yes. Um, but no, that's not who that is. There's like, don't they have like a penultimate like argument scene in a parking lot? Yeah. Between him and some actor. It's not Francis McDormand? I will, I will admit to uh, not knowing. Francis McDormand, I don't remember being in much of that movie. They're like, they're the two who like drive into town to try and convince the town. Yes, but I think she's mostly at the beginning of the movie. All right, I'm going to let you move on to one that I think you're going to be able to get 10. Okay. And that is Margaret. Okay, <laughs> thank God. Anna Paquin, Jay Smith Cameron, Jeannie Berlin, um, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Rosemary DeWitt, uh, Kieran Culkin, um, uh, more people, Jean Renault. How many people are there? Seven. You got seven. Seven. I need three more. Um, Alice and Janney. Yep. Um, <laughs> which cut of the movie are we talking about? I don't know. Uh, but Kenneth Lonergan. I was going to say, whose movie are we talking about? And because it's <laughs> Kenneth Lonergan, who comes as a package deal. Indeed. Uh, I already said Ruffalo. But who else? Has been in multiple Kenneth Lonergan movies. Um, Matt Damon. But not, we're not talking about Matt Damon. Um, oh, Broderick, Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Broderick. All right. Yeah. All right. You got 10. All right. Uh, downsizing. <laughs> <laughs> this might not be the worst either. Um, Hong Chow, Christoph Waltz. Is Jean Reno in this too? No, but it's some other Euro actor that uh of French person. Of some renown. Not French. Uh Donalyn Champlin, Nisi Nash, <laughs> yes. Margot Martindale, Laura Dern, uh Kristen Wig. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, who's in the first part of that movie? Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. Isn't there somebody else in that presentation? The scene with Laura Dern, too. Um, I don't know who the... It's not like Stellan Skarsgård, but I think there's somebody like that. I don't think you're legally allowed to have Stellan Skarsgård and Christoph Waltz in the same movie. Like, I feel like there's a singularity that maybe might happen if that occurred. No, there's a European actor who, like, isn't Jean Reno, but, like, maybe that's who Jean Reno might have played instead. Um, almost certain they are German. That isn't Christoph Waltz. Right. Um... But, like, is buddies with Christoph Waltz's character in the movie. Yeah, I know the role, and I can't... Oh, Udo Kier! There you go. Yeah. All right, you're at nine. Very good. Uh, a movie There's that... gotta be one more. All right, while you think about that, give me as many as you can from We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> Angus McFadden, Scarlett Johansson, um, Carla Gallo, Kim Whitley, um... Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, who else am I? Elle Fanning. Uh-huh. Um, Patrick Fugit. Yep. Can the monkey at least count? Sure. The monkey on Patrick Fugit's hat sure. count? You know, that's a starring role. That's yes. not just you. He's know. in that movie more than uh, Cameron Crowe's mom. He gets laughs. Yeah. He gets laughs. Um... I don't think I can remember anybody's name off the top of my head, even though I literally have a spreadsheet. We have an inspector. Oh, John Michael Higgins. Yep. And we have, um, you're not going to remember the kids' names. Uh, Is there anybody else who has a name in this? Maybe not. Maybe you're right. No, who's the realtor? Oh, J.B. Smoot. There you go. That's 10. All right. Um... Now I'm just going to walk you through the rest of these, and then we'll be done with this 10-timers game that was maybe a little bit harder than we thought, but okay. Um, <laughs> where is... All right, Courage Under Fire. So you got Denzel and Meg Ryan and somehow Jelko Ivanic. You were missing um, one of the other soldiers that he goes to interview who is played by... Um, an actor who was one of the young guns. Kiefer Sutherland. Nope. Charlie Sheen. Nope. Emilio Estevez. Nope. Lou Diamond Phillips! Lou Diamond Phillips is really good in that movie. Um, You have uh, a guy who uh, was in The Silence of the Lambs. Ted Levine. Nope. Um, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn. There you go. I like that you went to that caliber of people, though, first. You've got um, someone who was in The Lord of the Rings in the titular fellowship. Sean Astin. Sean Astin. There you go. Uh, who else can I get? Who can you get from this? Um, were you a Law & Order person? No. Okay. Then you're not going to get... It was Michael Moriarty. I watched the it. one episode of SVU that has Isabella Pair. All right. So we got you to six. So that's a respectable six. Um suburbicon you got julianne moore you got sweet baby jupe you got oscar isaac you didn't get who else can we grab from this cast 
Um, it's actually not a ton of... Oh, um... A voice in Inside Out, but not one of the, like... Richard Kind? Yes, Richard Kind. Very good. Um, I think that's the only one we're going to grab from that, so that's a respectable four. Okay. Uh, The Majestic, you got Jim Carrey and... Martin Landau, and then ran for the hills. There's there's a lot of meat on that bone. Um, so his love interest in that was on, like, The Walking Dead. She had sort of a featured recurring role on The X-Files. You might not know her name. No. Um, uh, the, the, uh, there's a character actor who is... Um, He's in like Wes Anderson movies, I guess. He's sort of a persnickety sort. He's uh uh I think he played a in the realm of directors who create critics so that they can be dumped on in a movie. He M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, so who was who was the actor? Bob Balaban. There you go, Bob Balaban. Um there's an actor who was in multiple of these movies who uh who you missed both times, who Got an Oscar nomination in 2007 for being a nice old man. Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook, yes. There is somebody from Alias. Did you watch Alias? Victor Garber. Nope, the other one. Matthew Vartan. No, the other older guy. No idea. Ron Rifkin. Got it. Um... Anyone else you can get in this cast? So you got what? That's a respectable five, I think. All right. Sure. Sure. All right. Next movie. All the Pretty Horses. So all the Pretty Horses, you got Penelope Cruz and Lucas Black, not Haas. Um, The other sort of uh, Matt Damon's like bestie in that movie was a child star in a Spielberg movie. Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Um, you also have um, a playwright slash actor who Tracy Letts. No, who was a Julia Roberts love interest in a movie we have done on this podcast? Okay, not Malkovich. Um, uh. Dougree Scott has probably not written too many plays. Um, no. What are you thinking of Dougree Scott and Julia Roberts from? Isn't that Mona Lisa Smile? Who's she oh, with the Mona Lisa Smile? Uh, um, uh, the Wire guy, uh, who's on The Crown now. Um, Dominic, Dominic something. West. Dominic West. Dominic West. No, uh, playwright, actor. <clears throat> um, he is also, speaking of Tracy Letts, is in August Osage County. Oh, Sam Shepard. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking in that age group as many people have complained about that movie. Um, Oh, and there's also... Oh, interesting. All right, two interesting ones in very, very uh, interesting roles. One is um, a very recent Oscar nominee who you seem to have a bit of a uh, crush on who um, is married to another Oscar nominee very recently who how am I going to describe this guy to you? 
was on a couple very popular television shows of the last decade and a half. Recent Oscar nominee I have a crush on. Very recent Oscar nominee. As in, like, last year? Yeah. Last year. Who did I have a crush on last year? I think you just, in general, seem to be fond of... You seem to be somewhat sweet on this one. Oh, okay. But maybe not a full-blown crush on this person. Um, Famously married to another nominee last year. Oh, Jesse Plemons. I do have a crush on I Jesse know you Plemons. Do. I know you do. Um, and then also a Best Actor nominee from 2013. Best Actor 2013. That In a is... movie you hate. Oh. Nominated for a movie I hate. Yeah. And what movie are we talking about again? All the Pretty Horses? All the Pretty Horses. This guy plays Judge in All the Pretty Horses. Oh, okay. So it's an older actor. Yeah. 2013. What won Best Picture in 2013? That's after Argo. 12 that Years a Slave. is 12 Years a Slave. Uh, Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern plays yeah. Judge. Yes. All right. So that's a respectable six. All right. Plowing our way through. Finding Forrester. You got Sean Connery, F. Murray Abraham, Anna Paquin, and Busta Rhymes. Um, the love interest from Flashdance. Um, if you I remember only know his Jennifer name. Beals from that movie. All right. His main name is Michael Nuri. Um, the guy, the the kid is Rob Brown. You are not going to get that. Yes. Um. Yeah, I don't think there's too many other people. Oh, there's um. The other guy in Murder by Numbers who's not Ryan Gosling. Oh, Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt. Yeah. And oh, the woman who interviews Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Angela Bennett. No. Not Angela Bennett. Oh God, what's her name? I love her. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Oh, that pisses me off. That is not right there. Yeah. It's April Grace. April Grace. All right. A respectable five for you there. Um, All right. The Rainmaker. So you got Danny DeVito, Claire James, John Voight. Um, The Oscar winner won her Oscar for Mrs. Miniver. Teresa Russell. Teresa Wright. Teresa Wright. Who is in The Best Years of Our Lives. Yes. Um, the There's it. also a uh, actress of a... of She wasn't quite a certain age at this point. She's playing older than she is in this movie. Um, one of the cast members from The Big Chill. Um, Mary Kay Place. Mary Kay Place, yes. Um, an Oscar nominee from... Was he nominated for Married to the Mob, or was he just... I think he was nominated for Married to the Mob. <coughs> um, Harry Dean Stanton? No. No, it's not Harry the Dean Stanton. The other one who's, like, not Harry Dean Stanton, but, like, is right. essentially um, looks like Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, God, what's his name? He was in Quantum Leap. Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. There you go. Um, oh, wait, sorry, I'm adding the story movie. Um... Oh, supporting actress nominee in the 2000s. She shows up for like one scene cameo. Um, she's a narrator on a David Lynch sci fi movie. Oh, Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen. Yes. Um, best actor nominee from the late aughts who nearly won for a big comeback role. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yes. All right. So you've got up to eight. That's a that's a respectable eight. Oh, oh, oh. Um the star of 
a movie that's not unlike Bardo. So, like a directorial. What's the like my life movie? Yeah, what's the like ultimate movie in that genre? Self indulgent. I mean, it feels like when people compare it, they compare it to Roma. Oh, I'm not. I don't think Roma when I see that movie. Um, I don't think Roma director when I see that movie, making but that's a movie the about one his own life uses. and death. Who um, very stylistically indulgent, but like people love this movie. Oscar winning director. Um, recent blank I... check subject. Oh, Kubrick. Nope. Little less recent. Who was before Kubrick? Huh. Oh, uh, Fosse. So, sh- uh, all that jazz. Someone was in all that jazz. Yeah, Scheider. Roy Scheider. All right. Oh, I thought you said he was a nominee in the odds. No, that was uh, Mickey Rourke. We had moved on to the oh, next person right. after that. All right. Um, My brain is becoming mush from this quiz. Sorry. Well, this is going to be a marathon for. I don't think there's anybody left in Promised Land for you to get, except for uh, the star of Bosch. He's Bosch on Bosch. Oh, Bosch on Bosch. You don't know his that name. That guy. Titus Welliver. All right. Yeah. Um, and then you got 10 from Margaret. Who else is even left in downsizing? You got really, you got nine in I downsizing. One, I got nine in downsizing. That's pretty good. You were missing a Saturday Night Live cast member who factored into the year's juiciest celebrity scandal. This year's juiciest celebrity scandal. Oh, Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. There you go. 10 for downsizing, and you got 10 for We Bought a Zoo. That's a very, very convoluted quiz that we may not ever repeat <laughs> again, but I'm glad that we did that because that was very fun. Uh, happy 10-timer to Matt Damon. Um, I want to talk about the phenomenon of We Bought a Zoo. I sort of looked up the Vulture uh, archive. They wrote so many articles about we bought a zoo <laughs> which makes so much sense in terms of like if you know the like the vulture aesthetic which is like not quite like twitter shit poster but not not twitter shit poster either you know what i mean and i say that as somebody right. who has happily written for vulture and will a love to do of so. shit posting um they just a lot of it the one thing that they reminded me of as i went through the archives in that was they covered the momentary phenomenon in December of 2011 where there was a Twitter account called We Bought a Zoo that was uh, a chronicle, a sort of madcap chronicle of what the characters from We Bought a Zoo might have been tweeting as they bought their zoo. And it's just (laughs) insanity. But it comes from uh, our good friend and former and I would say future podcast guest Bobby Finger and his podcasting partner Lindsay Weber back in the day did the We Bought a Zoo uh, Twitter account. And it was, you know, all this recent like Twitter (laughs) elegy going on and remembrances about remember the things about Twitter that were good. I think one of them was the absolutely insane uh, we bought a zoo Twitter account that is, that is still available. If you go on Twitter uh, at we bought a zoo, um, uh, location is still listed as Elizabeth Town, USA. <laughs> uh, there's just some Stupid. really good stuff. There's just some really good stuff in there. There's like multiple tweets that are just like we're trying to get some hay. Um, 
<laughs> there's a whole Ben Affleck interlude. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. Excuse my cough. And it lasted for like a week, and then it was done. And it was... uh, That's all. That's as long as those things should last. It should either have been... I'm talking about a dead medium. Those things should either last for a week, or they should last in perpetuity, and you never know when a tweet is coming. Like the fake Tilda Swinton account that existed for years. To give you a little bit of context, this was probably around the time that I created this at oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. So, like, that was sort of the vibe... In yeah. the ether at the time was just like real dumb shit that like <laughs> might exist as like a single service Twitter account or Tumblr. And I'm glad I ultimately, I think if I had done this had Oscar Buzz as a Twitter account, I don't know if I had ever been made it to the point where we had done a podcast about it. Whereas like Tumblr was a little bit more permanent. Um, but we bought a zoo. The people who sh- don't understand when we are stupid definitely don't understand that era <laughs> right um but we bought a zoo existed exactly as it should have as a twitter account for a week and a half and um the one tweet as i'm looking at it just says in all caps if you see a zebra who answers to jason Bourne, do not shoot him give me a call or send me an email we can figure this out <laughs> it's just great stuff what a time what a time to be online yeah so that was if you're trying to get a sense of like how how much respect did this movie garner in the public sphere? Uh, that. It was about that. Very that general uh, area. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that I this... I feel like this is also going to be one of those people movies that we do that people look askance, like, was there real buzz? And there was actually at the time. Yeah. Because this was one of the late season movies. It's a Christmas to... release. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Christmas um, release starring uh, Matt Damon and directed by Cameron Crowe. And as much as Cameron Crowe had flopped with Elizabethtown, he's still two movies removed from Almost Famous. So, like, People also didn't realize that this was a movie targeting families until they saw it, mm-hmm. too. Like, targeting families more than targeting awards until they saw it. Also... But, like, a lot of the on-paper stuff, like the dead wife, the etc., etc. A lot of Oscar buzz also tends to come from a cynical place, which is... Right. Oscar voters Oscar voters will go for that kind of schmaltz. They've done it before, you know what I mean? I feel like right. every time they award something that has a degree of sap or schmaltz to it. And again, that same year they nominated Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close for Best Picture. So, like there is no it's not wrong to anticipate that the Oscars could go for something that seems bad but has you know, an emotional appeal in some right. way. So, yeah. Um, this was an AARP, AARP. m for gs nominee. Uh, and lost to uh, Dark Days. Lost to Best Director Stephen Daltrey for Extremely Loud. Right. Cameron Crowe was a Best Director nominee at the m for gs this year, which is truly something. Um, all the things to nominate it for. It's truly like, you're a 50-year-old man. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, actually, if you just look at the names of the directors, it's a formidable group. It's Stephen right. Daldry, who, like, gets shit on, but, like, he's the director of the At that point, hours. he had never missed a Best Director nomination. And, and, and Extremely Loud got Best Picture and not Best Director, but continued that streak of essentially... Best Picture or Best Director nomination 
for right. like four movies in a row. Was Trash before or after Extremely Loud? After. Incredibly, after. After. Um, Daldry, George Clooney, Martin Scorsese, Terrence Malick, Woody Allen. And like three of those guys would be Oscar nominated that year. So like right. um, Clooney was for The Ides of March, which uh, flopperoo. Which we can't do because I believe that got a screenplay nomination. Yes. Um, Scorsese for Hugo. Hugo. Terrence. I accidentally also put Ides of March in it. <laughs> Ides of March on the brain. Um, Scorsese's Ides of March probably doesn't suck. Well, that's probably true. Uh, Clooney's Hugo probably does. Probably um, blows. Tra- Terrence Malick for Tree of Life and Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris, which neither one of us cares for, but. Uh, was a real was a real crowd pleaser at the time. A moment in time, P- pretty much the last. Co- no, he had movies after that that people I like. He made movies after that that I liked. So you know, I don't even remember which ones are after that. Well, let's look it up real quick. Because... Oh, cafe uh, cafe society. I think is the last one that I ever saw. I like. But I never saw the Joaquin Phoenix one. I like I ne- cafe. Well, society. I never saw any of the. Wait, hold on, ones. hold on. Let me bring it up because like there's probably. Like a good six movies after that. Wonder Wheel was after that, obviously. That was the one that was oh, like horrible. Um not Woody Harrelson. Idiot. Um I'm interested to talk about I don't want to get too much into like uh previewing our screen drafts, but like watching interiors for the first time was interesting. Um Okay, so after uh Midnight in Paris, to Rome with Love, which is bad. Oh, Blue Jasmine, which only one Kate Blanchett and Oscar uh, was after oh, that. Oh, that was after that, yeah. Magic in the Moonlight, which is bad. Irrational Man, which is bad. That was his, like, Emma Stone saw. period. Um, I never saw the Emma Stones. Cafe Society, which I liked a good bit, which is... That movie, I didn't care for the movie, but Blake Lively is so good in Blake Lively's movie. good. Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, Steve Carell, Blake Lively, um... Cheryl Lee is in that movie? I don't remember. Jeannie Berlin. Our good friend Jeannie mm-hmm. Berlin is in that movie. And then Wonder Wheel was after Cafe Society. Uh, and then that was when, uh, no pun intended, the wheels uh, came off the, the wagon for that. Um, yeah. So what else about good old We Bought a Zoo? Is there any of the cast members we haven't really delved into? Um, his mother does play uh, Parrot Lady in this every once in a while she would show up on screen i'd be like is that his mom because she he like he'll let her cameo in things every once in a while and uh which is very sweet obviously almost famous is in many ways it's a it's many things but it's a love letter to his mom uh i want to talk about the differences between the real life story oh yeah go for it like i think maybe illustrate a little bit how this movie is bankrupt (laughs) um go for it it see the movie makes it seem incredibly easy to just buy a zoo, uh, lending to all of the jokes uh, in the uh, inferred flippancy of the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took them several years to buy this zoo over a time period where one assumes you know they were certified for like animal care, right? Um, and all of that. So it's just like the movie makes you think that like you can just buy a zoo where there's a staff. You know, that already cares for all of these animals, right. et cetera, blah, 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 maintains right. the facilities. But the house portion, you got to fix that. Um, I think even more so the the 
wife had pa- the real life story she passed away while they had owned the zoo not beforehand which i think it's just like i don't know there's something about well if we're trying to make a heartwarming movie well we'll make this story be that uh you know everybody's already grieving and buying the zoo helps you solve your grief or something right. that feels so manipulative to me in a way that I'm more so inclined to like knock the movie for that than for any of the like cheesy. You don't feel like it would have been equally or more manipulative to make the movie about the wife dying while they are trying to save the zoo. Maybe, but I feel like because they're trying to make a family movie, it's like, well, we can't have this death mid-movie, so to make money in the way that we want to make money, we have to make her already be dead. I don't know if that necessarily precludes. I feel like there's value in a weepy like that, but um, I get what you're saying. I also feel like it's just a trope. That now I'm sort of struggling to think of other examples, which I hate that. I hate when I can, like, clearly identify a trope and people are like, well, what do you mean? What other movies? And I'm like, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but, like, the the trope of, like, a grieving person needing to do something big to, like, shake right. things up, right? And this feels like one of those movies for sure. And I feel like that kind of thing... I think that kind of thing appeals to somebody like Cameron Crowe. It appeals to a lot of writers in Hollywood, which is this idea of what if somebody just changed their whole life on a whim? What if somebody just like gave up everything that they were doing and decided to do something new? And there's a little bit of that in Secret Life of Walter Mitty that see that appeal of just like what if yeah. this like regular guy Adventure. just like packed his bags and like set off like a man called uh uva sort of you know right like that kind of thing that we're getting are we getting a man called otto it's supposed to come out in december and i have limited release at christmas i think we have seen nothing from it right i don't think there's a trailer i I hated that original still i'm sure it still Uh, exists we do know that real wilson has written and performed a song for it that will be in the original song race well there is our fifth justification to get this movie released i have i've been trying to think of because i keep talking about what a great song race it'll be if it's gaga and taylor and rihanna and lcd sound system rita (laughs) and if rita wilson is the fifth I am again. I in. do think Jasmine Sullivan will be in there too. For I'm which movie? For that. Till. For Till. Well, um, best original song rarely goes Jasmine the Sullivan. way we think it will. So there is a very good chance that Jay Ralph is waiting in the weeds with uh, with some <laughs> with Diane Warren and Scarlett Johansson ready to <laughs> ready to pounce. Oh, okay. So I was going to mention this up top. This is our first episode we were recording in the era of Diane Warren has an Oscar now because the Governor's Awards, yes. as we were recording this, was last night. She accepted her award from Cher. She came up to the stage too early and she um, was so incredibly enthusiastic and, and excited about finally having an Oscar. You know how much I love somebody who really wants to have an Oscar, and seemingly nobody has wanted an Oscar more than Diane Warren has wanted an Oscar at this moment. <laughs> and I was incredibly happy. Um, she had that one quote that Kyle Buchanan tweeted out where she's like, um, I write songs 
as if they were songs that would be at my wedding, but I don't want to get married. I have no interest in, uh, in waking up with anybody else in my bed or something like that. But, um, just Diane at a 10, I saw a photo this morning that she had either tweeted or Instagrammed of her waking up in bed with the Oscar statue next to her. (laughs) And it's just like, that's the energy that I'm looking for here. People. I want you to want it. I want you to, I want cringy moments like Anne Hathaway saying it came true. This That is the price I'm willing to pay for people being honest about the fact that they want a goddamn Oscar, because you know what? Mm-hmm. Y'all fucking do. And, uh, I don't know, that was great. I at least like if it's implied that they wanted it. Like, you know, Jessica Chastain in her Oscar speech isn't like, I've wanted this since blah blah blah, but you can tell she right. wanted it. Right, you know? like, yeah. I don't need you to, I don't need everybody to say it. I Nobody need, needs to be cool. I need people to not pretend that they don't want it because uh, you're liars. Um. So yeah. So congratulations to Diane Warren for that. What else about we bought a zoo? We've talked about Math- uh, or Angus McFadden, who is um just a a drunken, vengeful. Uh, uh, bear of a man in this movie and seems quite delightful and a lot of this a lot of the sort of like cast of characters in this feels very and i wonder it's probably intentional in some way we're like it's also a zoo of a staff right we're like you have one like you know one of every species right you have the the plucky lady drunken scott yeah you you have have the drunken scott you have the parrot lady you have patrick fugit with his monkey you have like underhanded carla gallo who's like looking to like sabotage shit you've got um al fanning who is maybe a ghost you have (laughs) uh uh Patrick Fugit's friend who isn't dan fogler but like could be like a dan fogler type who is just sort of like Roly poly and wild haired and and yeah. just always there. Uh it's a real menagerie of people in that regard. So yeah. Which like not fully capitalized in the movie no, because you no. could have this like eccentric ensemble. That would be a lot of fun. And I wonder if uh, I always do this. I'm an idiot. I don't know. I always am like, would this have been better as a TV show? Or would this TV show be better as a movie? And like, it's a disease that I have fallen That'd into. That'd be an impossible television show. Do you know how expensive it would be to constantly have animals on a set of a TV show? It would be. But I always think of a sh- of movie that has an ensemble like that that isn't capitalized upon. And I'm like, this would work better in a television show. This kind of ensemble, at least. Where you would have time to sort of like give these people, you know, an episode here or there or whatever um ultimately i don't hate this movie but i just really i don't think it works i'm glad that you found it more charming than i did because like that's what it's there for it's there for people to find i it found charming. it so wildly inoffensive sure like, yeah and nothing like, to really get yeah. super bent out of shape about yeah i agree but you know i'm i'd be interested to see Eh, interested-ish to see what uh, Aline Brosh McKenna's version of this movie would have been before Cameron Crowe rewrote it. Yeah. But... Because she... I mean, obviously we love her for things like Devil Wears Prada and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Exactly. Exactly. Um, incredibly smart 
right. Yeah, what's her thing coming up? Um, she just announced a new project, and I forget what it is. I think she had already had something. Um, and I think she and and uh, Rachel Bloom are also reuniting for something. I think that I had heard that. Um, I wonder if it's this thing. Well, she's writing and directing a movie with Reese Witherspoon called Your Place or Mine that that, uh, is supposed to be released in February. Uh, Two long-distance best friends change each other's lives when she decides to pursue a lifelong dream, and he volunteers to keep an eye on her teenage son. It's Reese Witherspoon. It's Steve Zahn. Rachel Bloom is in this. Ashton Kutcher is in this. Jesse Williams is in this. Zoe Chow, who is rad. Uh, Tig Notaro is in this. Um, and hold on, let me figure out when this is coming out because uh, your place or mine. Oh, it's a Netflix. Okay, there we go. I was like, who's distributing this uh, This very... Uh, uh, <laughs> this is probably also movie. why, if it's coming out in February, we haven't heard about it. Mm-hmm. Probably true. But uh, wishing her and Reese a ton of success, because I do love them. Always. Um, it is a Hello Sunshine production, as I said. She... Oh, she had the story by credit on Cruella. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Didn't that have a ton of screenwriter credits though oh yeah like that had uh, let's see at least three (laughs) her story by credit was her and the team of kelly marcel and steve zissis uh and then the screenplay was credited to Dana Fox and Tony McNamara. So yeah, a lot of cooks in that kitchen, unsurprisingly. Um, anyway, we love Aline Brosh McKenna. We wish her uh, continued success, and I will definitely be seeing that Reese Witherspoon movie um, no matter what. Indeed. Should we move on to the IMTB game? Yeah, let's do it. Would you like to explain the IMDb game to our listeners? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Fabulous. Sir, would you like to give or guess first? I will give first. Mine, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, is a little uh, challenging for you. I went into Fast Times at Richmond High, which was Cameron Ah. Crowe's first screenplay uh, that was turned into a movie. Uh, In a small part, I believe, in that movie was one of... uh, one of the '80s sort of signature actors, a little bit, a little bit, in, in a in a kind of what might have been kind of way, was almost uh, Marty McFly in Back to the Future. I am, of course, talking about Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, that's rough. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, is he in Barcelona? Is the Walt Stillman movie? Whit Stillman. Walt St- Whit Stillman. <laughs> I'm my brain is much. He much might cold. be, uh, but um, I know he's in another Whit Stillman movie that is um, 
not also in his known for. Uh, I think he's in Walking and Talking. He's not in Barcelona. Or not, not Walking and Talking. Ah. Kicking and Screaming. Uh, uh, he's in Kicking and Screaming. He's not in Barcelona. Neither one of those is on his known for. Got it. Um, I'm just going to guess Fast Times at Richmond High. No, not that. All right. That's two wrong guesses. Your years are 1985, 1987, 1994, and 2004. 2004? Yeah. I don't remember. And of course, no TV. Eric Stoltz is someone who I can't say I've seen in a ton of things that I really remember him being in. Um, His most well-known of these four, he had a very famous co-star who was somewhat famously snubbed for an Oscar nomination. Madonna. No, but you're on the right track. Because I was thinking he's in some type of erotic drama like Body of Evidence, but that's Defoe. Well, um, I would go away from that vibe because that's not going to help you any. Okay, so not a movie like that. Okay, but someone like Madonna, the same year, I'm pretty sure, was Courtney Love. Courtney Love? No. What? But like a pop, uh, uh, a musician almost nominated for an Oscar. Yes, a female musician. Yes, obviously not Cher. Why? Because she has an Oscar. Yeah. Oh but, no, it's Cher because it's Mask. It's Mask. Yes, the nineteen eighty five right. one is Mask. Um, another one of these. He's in a small part, but in a very famous scene. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. 1994's Pulp Fiction. Yes. Uh, the other two, one of them, there's 87 and 04. The 87 one, maybe you haven't seen it, but it's one of those movies that was like, really? Is it a horror movie? No. It's a romantic okay. comedy, like a teen romantic comedy. Uh, teen young people. It's not whatever. some kind of wonderful. It is some kind of wonderful. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eric and Stoltz, then 04. Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, Leah Thompson, written by John Hughes. They might not be teens in that. They might be in their 20s. But anyway, they're young. Uh, heartache to heartache, they stand. Uh, the 2004 one, I don't remember him being in this movie. This is a movie with a very memorable title that didn't get good reviews, but I definitely saw it in a theater. Um, the title refused to refers to a sort of... Um, not pseudoscientific concept, but like pop, a little bit of like pop science that like sounds very, uh, um, sounds very interesting and like, uh, has. I was initially gonna guess Simone. Um, no. Um, pop science type of. I'm guessing like a, this is a comedy. No, it's like a sci fi, um, thriller interesting sci-fi thriller not sci-fi like horror it's sort of antitrust it stops just shy of horror there's like at least one horrific element to it um what is the genre as listed by imdb it's not drama sci-fi thriller just shy of horror so it's not like gory but like the threat of gore i feel like i know what the i'm gonna know what this is and it's like it's not like a dark castle movie but it's like deep rising type of it's not quite that it's more poppy than that it stars um 
a very popular actor from the aughts who almost always seemed like he was in over his head when they when when he was cast in dramas. Philippi. No, but you're sort of on the right track. James Vanderbeek. No, but he did have a popular television show. That's sort of how he rose to fame was television. Um, sort of a famously dumb screen persona. Ryan Reynolds. No. Again, you're circling the the parking lot here. Um, uh, Notable for Twitter in some way. Chris Evans, because he showed his penis. No. Early Twitter celebrity. Early celebrity to get on Twitter. Oh. That I'm not sure will help me. Um I know I'm I, I'm I know I know what this I know I know the movie. It's not gonna be something I've never heard you've of. You've definitely heard of it. Uh, you've probably seen it. You've definitely heard of it. Um, it refers to a concept that is alluded to in Jurassic Park. Cloning. No. Dinosaurs. No. Genetics. No. A specific character mentions this general scientific-ish concept. Evolution. No. Think of um, Jeff Goldblum's character specifically. When he's trying to hit on Laura Dern, what's he talking to her about? Oh, I forget now. Oh, okay. Um, Well, then that's not going to help you at all. Because I'm thinking of, like, man eats, uh, dinosaur eats man. No. No. Um, Television star was in a comedy that was like famously dumb but like also very successful um was like super hot guy married an older woman early twitter adopter now is married to his co-star from the television show that made him famous uh, 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 one of those OC people? Nope, it's not Adam Brody, because he married Leighton okay. Meester, but they were not on the same show. No. Um. Who married an older woman? Married an older woman, they got divorced, then now he's married to the co-star from his television show. Unfortunately, people are yelling at their uh, at their podcast machine. I know right people are probably upset with this. Is it like Chad Michael Murray? No, I... um, much more famous than Chad Michael Murray. Um, was like an A lister for at least a while. Had a television show on MTV that wasn't like a reality. Ashton Kutcher. There you go. God. I have not seen many Ashton Kutcher movies. I ruled that shit out. It's not Dude, Where's My Car? What's a sci-fi thriller starring Ashton Kutcher about a, like, pop scientific concept? Dude, Where's My Car? Um... No, stop saying Dude, Where's My Car? (laughs) 
<laughs> that is not a sci-fi thriller, no matter how I you want to define it. I rejected Ashton Kutcher movies as a concept, so maybe okay. I have blocked this movie ha- out. Le- um, not the title. Definitely not the title. Um, He, like, travels through time. Time travel Ashton Kutcher. He's got, like, a somewhat ill-considered beard situation happening. I really don't remember oh this, God. and maybe it's just my brain fog. Today. I refuse um, to give you this title. You should know this. Um, <laughs> um, who else is in it besides Eric Stoltz? One of the women from Varsity Blues. Allie Larder. Nope, the other one. Damn it. Um, who is the other one? The other one. Who was also in... Her known for would be interesting, actually. Um, oh, she's also she's not Anna Ferris in Just Friends. She's the other one in Just Friends. Right. Oh, uh, Amy Smart. Yes, Amy Smart. If Amy you get Smart, this from Ashton Amy Kutcher. Smart and not Ashton Kutcher, I am. I'm. Listen, I've probably seen more Amy Smart movies than I. I'm seen sure Ashton you Kutcher have. Movies. I'm sure you have. Um, What's the tagline uh, on this poster? Change everything is the tagline on this poster. Um, what like time travel movie? It's like a caveman movie. No, or time travel. No, he like travels throughout his life and changes things, small insignificant things that then like lead penis? to big no butterfly effect. Yes, for God's sake. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. I literally almost like started doing the like hand motion <laughs> butterfly for you. I've never seen that movie. You've heard of it though. It is a very yes. memorable title. Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Boy. I Sorry listeners. Sorry you don't I remember don't shit Eric Stoltz as uh what is his character's name in this even? He's like 20th build as like a teacher, Mr. Miller in uh in in Butterfly Effect. Sorry to this man. Sorry to Eric Stoltz. All right, what do you have for me? All right, I have something significantly more easy for you. Okay. You mentioned we have also done a previous zoo-themed episode uh-huh. on the zookeeper's wife. <laughs> I chose for you the star of the zookeeper's wife because I am a nice person. We've... And I chose something easy for you today. I chose Jessica Chastain. Have we never done Jessica Chastain? Apparently not. Wow. Okay. I imagine by now Eyes of Tammy Faye is there. Incorrect. Whoa. Okay. The help. Incorrect. The help is there for everybody. How is the help not there for her? That's not crazy. there for Jessica Chastain. There are uh, once you have the years, you're gonna. Are get they like three 2011s and then a 2012? Is that like what it's? <laughs> no, there's a 2012, two 2014s, and a 2017. Interstellar. Interstellar. A 2012, one more 2014, and what? 2017. Is 2017 the Zookeeper's Wife? No. Okay. Um, 2012 is... If it's fucking lawless, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Um, no, it's Zero Dark Thirty. Um... Yes, correct, for 2012. The other 2014 is... The Martian was 2015. Was it... Fucking... Guillermo del Toro, Crimson Peak? 
No. Okay. That's 2015. Is it 2015? Okay. Um, <clears throat> 2013 was like Eleanor Rigby and whatnot. I hope our listeners are yelling at you as I hope much they as are. they yelled at me I about ho- the butterfly effect. <laughs> What's the other 2014 Jessica Chastain movie? Is it a uh, 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 most violent year? It is a most violent okay, year. Good. I was like, I'm not helping you. No, on this. don't. We did a whole episode on it. 2017. This was very respectful. Uh, <laughs> wait, Molly's Game is 2017. Molly's Game is 2017. Yeah, very good. Okay. I love Molly's Game. That's it, right? That's the 2017? That's it. Okay. You got it. Okay, all. okay, okay. Um, sorry for giving you Eric Stoltz when you gave me Jessica Chastain. <laughs> Two famous redheads, I will say. A nice little yeah, uh, theme. Yeah. yeah. Very gingery episode yeah. uh, for my cult. Uh, that's our episode, though. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. And now, Instagram at this had Oscar Buzz. Yeah, we should add Joe. that to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, be sure to send in your mailbag questions. Once again, you can email us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com, or you can fill out the Google form that we have on our Tumblr and on our Twitter page. Yes. Joe. Tell the listeners where they can find more of you specifically on a solo venture. Don't find me on Instagram. Like, find this at Oscar Buzz on Instagram. Like, I'm not worth following on Instagram unless we're actual friends. Um, if Twitter's still around, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. Find me on Letterboxd, uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D there as well. I don't know what else I'm jumping to. I'll let you know when I know. Um... I might just uh, diminish and go into the West and remain Galadriel. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at for now. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and David Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, climb over that fallen tree and uh, fly a kite with a nice review. <laughs> That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more. We didn't talk about the flying the kites, and I literally was so upset. They all flew a bunch of kites. They flew, flew a bunch of fucking kites for no reason. It made no sense for the rest of the movie. Free right. gifts! Free gifts on the reopening. Bye! Bye.